Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast and video for those that are watching today. Um, you know, for those that have been here before, this is all about what, what we talk about is how do you create wealth through successful business endeavors? And that's as an entrepreneur that's growing a business, they make money as they're doing it, but then, you know, what does it happen? how you create generational wealth oftentimes comes from when you exit that and the return on the investment of the time and the money that you put into it. And for the investors out there, the angel investors, the family offices, it's also about how you um, identify those entrepreneurs that you're going to invest in so that they, and, and, and which ones are most likely to move towards a profitable exit. But then also along the way, how you can participate in the growth of a company and then leading to a profitable exit. And most often the exits are with acquisitions. They, they don't go public. It's rarely compared to the whole world out there of, of how companies, you know, get the return, the investors get the return, all that stuff is because they sell the company. So my guest today, Paul D'Souza is, um, so uh, we, and I'll, I'll probably link it in the show notes. You probably see that down in the show notes. But we had an interview uh, three years ago. We were trying to remember when we were talking about his book, The Market Has Changed, Have You? And I, we've stayed in touch all this time. Um, reached back out recently, and he was telling me about what he, how much he's been involved in the merger acquisition business and identifying companies that are ready to get acquired, helping those that weren't quite ready to become ready. And that happens all through revenue, revenue, revenue. Okay. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Paul here and why this is the information that we are going to talk about today is so critical for those business owners out there that are, you know, looking at the horizon. How do I get to a point of being able to sell my company in, in a year, five years, 10 years from now? This is a critical conversation that you're going to hear today or watch today if you're doing it on video. And then uh, for those investors out there, it's important if you're in a company right now that doesn't seem to be moving where you want it to go, where you think you're going to get an exit, listen to the things that we're going to talk about because this is the, what's happening in the marketplace and uh, where it is right now in the middle of what we're dealing with with this pandemic, how it's shifted. But we're also going to talk about sort of the differences between what you get a lot of, bu of um, buzz on, which are investors investing in tech companies and that whole thing. But there's a whole nother world out there that really get, hits the press, really makes a lot of tweets out there or wherever you get your news. It's, uh, it's, it's, but it's the real world of how wealth is created and companies are bought and, and long-term wealth is created through the long-term strategic play. So so Paul is about validating, you know, the, the, uh, everything for acquirers and validating the revenue for acquirers and fixing it for those seeking to grow the value of their company and attract the acquirer. That's exactly what we're talking about. 
Revenue is always the result. This is not no news, no new news here for people that have been listening to this show and any of you that are really understand business and read business books. But revenue is a result of the right marketing strategy, the sales strategy, the sales process, delivery process, and the people and teams working together to help the customers have an amazing experience with you. And I took that directly off of Paul's website. So we know that's what he's all about, right? He's a venture advisor. <laughs> he's a venture advisor to Loyal VC in Silicon Valley. He is a mentor on go-to-market strategies and revenue models at the Founder Institute. Before that, he served as a sales executive, executive at RWD, selling medical communications to the pharmaceutical industry and Root Consulting, which is focused on business intelligence solutions to the Fortune 500 company. Now he serves as a chief revenue officer as a service for his clients. And uh, welcome to the show. And did that ring a bell when I, I gave your quote straight off your website? Did you go, gosh, that sounds really I, know, I was I was wondering, like, wow, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> <laughs> You got you totally got me there. <laughs> no, at least I gave you credit, right? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like two peas in a pot with a box of chocolates. <laughs> but that is, it's that is the true key element for a successful company, which is really based off of revenue, right? Yeah, so, you know, thank you. Thank you for what you said, because um, I just one comment I want to make, I mean, beautiful, you know, sort of intro if you would but for your audience and people that are going to be listening in terms of or listening to what i say right i actually speak to exactly what you said both sides of the coin right so i'm speaking to entrepreneurs if you're an entrepreneur you'll hear things that i'm going to say about things that can help you increase revenue and bring value to your business you know either you have a lifestyle business or you're creating value right. but also then from the investor side right they're talking to me because they're looking for opportunities. What do you invest in today, right? And today's investment strategy is very different. And, you know, we're actually going back 100 years. We're going back to the old-fashioned, you know, investment, uh, investment market where you're really looking for companies that are going to be solid and ride through the pandemic. I think there's tremendous opportunity right now because a lot of the valuations are low, a lot of the numbers are low. But for the companies that can ride through, it's a great time to get in. You'll be able to rock it out 18 months from now. Right, right. So you have been, just to kind of connect a couple of dots from your corporate experience to where you are now, you know, you, you, you didn't just hop from being a sales executive into understanding, you know, this value proposition for you know, selling a company or acquiring a company, talk a little bit, but connect the dots in there for our audience about how you gain the knowledge that you have right now. Yeah, for sure. You know, it was, it was kind of uh, surprising for me. I could not have planned it, right, Karen? I, I, I morphed into it, but I stayed on the path of revenue. And when you, First, I was a sales guy. And then when you look at sales and you look at revenue, you start saying, okay, what's the difference? What are those distinctions? And the distinctions really are that a sale is a transaction, but then you've got to build a relationship of trust with that prospect who becomes a customer, who then becomes a client, right? They're very different mindsets and moods, if you would, between those three. 
and you start building more of a client base than a customer base, customers transactional, clients are more relationship based, because that's when you tap into, into value and profitability. So that's what I was doing. And then I started mentoring students, uh, companies through the Founder Institute. And then the investment community got excited about who I was. And actually the first project I was sent to Guadalajara, Mexico, where the company got, that got funded in the Silicon Valley, but their back office and their first set of customers were in Mexico. And then I started helping that startup because the, they got funded by the VCs. And I started helping those investments be more solid by closing more deals, increasing the deal at Philip Morris, closing <clears throat> Audi Mexico. In fact, we were in the manufacturing space, going to walking with people. I didn't speak, so I don't speak Spanish, uh, you know, and, but walking with the team there and really masterminding, quarterbacking the deal and bringing deals in. Now this supported the investment community. And that's when I got more investors looking at me and the investment community say, hey, help us make our investments more profitable. Help us reduce risk. And then I focused there because that was my pivot. In fact, okay. now I'm thinking, I, you know, I was reconfirming. I've been having thoughts about actually building my own, my own uh, fund, if you would, or my own, uh, you know, I, like an investment club, right? Because what I've got now is I love rolling up my sleeves and being in the trenches, helping uh, companies figure out the right go-to-market strategy. I just recorded a video this morning and I'm going to post it on YouTube. I'm getting tired of seeing go-to-market strategies today. Somebody sent me an, uh, a, from, a, from a class last week I did uh, on, a, on a virtual cohort for one of the, the accelerators. Somebody sent me an executive summary this morning for something that is irrelevant for the COVID marketplace. I'm like, what are you thinking? Vacation planning as a, no, <laughs> no one's planning vacations right now. They should not right. be. That's such a waste of everybody's time as an example, right? I mean, I was so upset. I said, no, I'm actually going to do a video about that. Make sure from the entrepreneurs that your offerings, your solutions make sense for today's market. Mm -hmm. Because on the same token, I've had, you know, a woman, I, I love women-owned businesses for some reason, you know, synergy. I don't know what, why. But here's another opportunity with the lady. My eight o'clock call this morning was with a lady who uh, has got a good opportunity and has not first time entrepreneur, doesn't know really how to pitch her, her offering. I gave her a structure for a, um, an executive summary. Uh, she's coached her how to, to talk about it, right? Uh, she had a conversation and then she called me back and said, my gosh, it worked. I've got something <laughs> to actually work. <laughs> I, I pulled the Colombo strategy on it, right? And it, it worked. Uh, and we're moving forward and I haven't made a decision, but it's a positive movement. So my, my journey has been there, focusing on the entrepreneur, focusing on the strategies, first closing deals, then building relationships of trust, right? So that you can create more value in the company. And when you create more value, then you get more customers and you get more investors. Because now it's become, you, you know, once there's value in the market, everybody gets excited. Right. So where I, I, my sort of value chain is along that path from transactional sales, first the strategy, transactional sales, relationship sales, add more value, and then coach the entrepreneurs on what next. You know, what next? Again, it's for me, I care about, you know, my tagline for life and through my nonprofit and everything I do. One sentence. You know, I help people find their joy. 
right? But you, I do that right at, down to the transactional level. And even though the transactions change, if you stay authentic to people being in their power, the entrepreneur being in the power, making sure they create something of value that the investors will be interested. And I coach the investors to make sure, hey, is this the right investment? Because I would hate for you to make the wrong investment. And I coach them to make sure that it's a long-term strategy as well. Okay. Great. Yes. Uh, so as we start, before we start talking about, you know, the actual shift and kind of where things are going with this, uh, this value investing or the value acquisition model, um, let's first uh, set the stage by comparing the types of acquisitions that are done. So people have a point of reference, right? So you have, yeah. um, you know, we see a lot of, of what, of you know what, what I mentioned early on, this hype, right? You get a technology company, a software company, or something like that. It gets money from angel investors and then VCs, and then oftentimes it, it will be acquired as a strategic investment to gain either the intellectual property, right? So let's just say it's a Google acquisition. It's to get the intellectual property or to get access to those customers that they have, right? right. Those are often why a bigger company will buy a smaller company. Coca-Cola does this, all the big Fortune 500s, when they make their acquisitions, it's to get a customer base and intellectual property or access to the property, um, you know, to the, the product itself, yeah. right? And then on the other side of the scale or the table or wherever, you know, the parallel path that oftentimes um, is not talked much about is where you get into the private equity funds and family offices and, Sometimes they take a minority purchase with an idea to help grow and then exit along with the founders. And sometimes they do an outright acquisition. So talk about the differences of, uh, because I know you were, you work with VCs, but you also work with these other sort of non VC types of acquisitions and sort of the mindset of, of that. And in the non VC type of, of places that's not, you know, that like a Coca-Cola acquiring it, you know, talk about the differences in what they're looking for when they are start to look for a target investment investor. And my experience has been, and you tell me about yours, that on the, the tech side, that VC side, sometimes, uh, and this is when we first got together, we were talking about, you know, this, and we were setting up this call was how had it shifted from, um, you know, so many times it's not revenue-based. It's more, it is just the IB, I, eyeballs or the IP versus family offices and these other ones are all the value proposition of the company. And, and then that later on, we'll get into kind of what makes up that. But just talk a little bit about what you see in the marketplace, the difference between those kind of those two sides of the balance of acquisitions and industry sectors. Oh, sure. Uh, I think, you know, from my current perspective, there are four, potentially four different investment investor categories, right? Okay. So, because there's been some shifts and changes and maybe three, maybe four, I hope it's not five, but we'll go through them and pick the number. I'm just thinking about this as we speak, right? So I've done deals with hedge funds, right? $4 billion hedge fund out of Tokyo made an investment to one of the client companies I had, right? Where they're saying that technology makes sense. Uh, you are too small for us to make a, a really solid investment, but we'll do a trial investment. We'll, then they had a small, because uh, they actually make huge, you know, $20 million, $30 million investments. 
Um, that's not huge, but a little bigger investments. Uh, but they said, okay, we, we'll just do a seed investment with them. They, they gave us about a half a million dollars in two different round, two different uh, checks they wrote at two different times over a three-month period. Uh, so you have the hedge funds. They look for, they're investing in larger companies. They want companies for growth, right? And they will get in and get out at different places and phases in that growth, in that value structure. Then you've got um, the VCs and those guys, again, they're hedge, you know, they're just uh, investing again. You know, you've got to be in Silicon Valley over 10, 10, 11, $12 million for a VC to look at you in terms of the amount of money you're asking for. I had a company that was asking for $3 million in the Silicon Valley and none of the VCs have looked at, look at him and they said, well, you're just too small. Bring us $10 million, others you, or more, he won't right. even look at you, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy and really amazing technology. Same technology that the hedge fund said, we'll try, we love the technology, but you're too small. And they, would, they were doing, they were asking for $3 million. And that was literally the wrong amount of money to ask for in the Silicon Valley. And then if you look at angels, there's a huge, and I'm not sure exactly when the shift happened. A few years ago, the majority of angels, I think in the Silicon Valley, don't invest directly with customers. I mean, with, in, with, with companies, they invest in funds. The funds then invest in companies. So that's been a huge shift, right? The early days of the band of angels, when we did get money from them with one of my earlier companies back in 2005 in the Silicon Valley, uh, it was a bunch of guys dropping $25,000 checks, but each one came in individually. Now they don't do anything individually. I've talked to a bunch of you know angels and said, Saratoga and the Silicon Valley friends of mine. And they're like, no, Polly, we are part of a fund, right? They've got $200,000 investable money and they've put that in a larger fund and they just work with one person, the fund manager to figure out how's the fund doing. And these guys sit around and they look at all the term sheets and they look at all, all the details, but they don't make an individual call. They make a recommendation and the fund manager, may, they do a, a joint approach, right? So because it's just cost of managing risk of time and money and all that kind of stuff. That's been a different shift. Then you've got the fourth category, which is where I'm seeing a lot of activity, is what you would call the private investor. We would call them the angels, but they're not the professional, the angels who are now doing it full-time, right? They're the, they're the, the Procter & Gamble manager that's got, you know, has got about $150,000 they want to invest. They don't know where to invest. They're coming to me and they say, hey, Paul, do you have any, any companies you think, you know, I, I should invest in, as an example? Right. In the old days, they would have gone to they would have bought a Dunkin' Donuts franchise and been a silent investor and they would have just had somebody else run it. Right. Because they would have dropped you know, hundred thousand dollars and launched a, you know, a, a, a small franchise like that. Those guys are getting excited about the tech space. Those guys are getting excited about the entrepreneurs. And I'm seeing a lot of that. Right. Yeah. So which is my target market. Right. For my book. That's exactly who I'm targeting. Yeah with this book for those execs that right. haven't been involved in angel investing before. Exactly. So those guys, you know, they, I've got a gentleman actually who wants to learn, wants to be closer to the company and doesn't like the, the fund model, right? He actually wants to get close. And my approach, I'm just very simple. I'm very hands-on. I'm not a slick investment, you know, community guy, right? I don't know those details. I come in from the outside. I'm about solving problems, helping companies be successful, making profit, hiring, firing, right? I'm at that level of creating value. So the, with the COVID marketplace now, 
there's been a huge shift. Uh, the, when I worked with a private equity firm last year and into this year, I brought 19 deals to the table. COVID hit, and we couldn't close many of them because the, the family offices are being very careful where they're spending their money, right? Those guys were doing consolidated deals. You know, they were sitting on $1.6 billion, right? Uh, 13, 14 family offices, 13, you know, 15 LPs, a couple of bigger companies. They had a big pool of, uh, of money to go to, but they would bring individual deals to different people in that, in that, uh, in that conglomeration of investors. And they would get, put a, a federated deal together. Right? So it was never one company, never one family office. You go to three or four family offices and they would invest in the company. But then we were building sectors. We were building a logistics sector. We were building a sin, a sin sector of alcohol and, and, and tobacco and cannabis type, type of investments. Right? Uh, so that, I think, has changed because those funds, especially the family office funds, the investments they made prior to the COVID, right may not the situation may not be doing so well today and they want to be very careful in what they invest in moving forward but the investments that they're thinking of are ones that will go through the dip and come out on the other side and really sort of buy and hold deals so i think that's been the silent big shift will there's a silent question i'm not sure how many people are asking it publicly but i'm what i'm sensing is they're asking Will this business survive through the pandemic and what will its trajectory be on the other side of it? They're a little more flexible in terms of the numbers don't have to be that big and sexy in the next you know, 60, 90, uh, you know, 90 days or one year, but will it survive 18 months? Will it survive two years? And then what's the trajectory? Yeah. And so as you're, the first part of what you were talking about were really people making or funds making minority investments that are just going to take the ride with the company, but the family offices are now shifting to not play that kind of role, but to do full out acquisitions, or are they also doing minority investments in companies that can ride the wave through the pandemic? To be honest, I don't know. These guys have been holding on to the money in the last three months. Okay. You know, and I'm not... I'm specifically the family offices. I am talking to the small investors who want to put $25,000 in a company and asking me, hey, who, where, where can I put my money? But I'm not, I, do, I personally, those guys dried up. I've not, they've not got back to me and I moved on because I want to put deals together. Yeah. I don't have time to hold and wait. So know? yeah, let's, well, let's talk about, because we, when we were preparing for this, we talked, you had some examples of companies doing outright acquisitions and sort of this movement towards, you know, a, a renewed emphasis on manufacturing and this the idea yeah. of last mile of manufacturing and the, um, you know, the best practices, because, you know, for those folks that are looking at now, okay, here I am in, two, in 2020, I want to be able to sell my, I want to survive this pandemic. I want to be able to sell my company in 2025 and then become my own angel investor or my own family office with that wealth that I can then go and invest in other things that grow my wealth over time, right? So yeah. Yeah. when they're looking at it, the things that the, the, uh, you talked a lot about. Um, yeah, I'll give you specifics. So, and, and architecting yeah. that part of it, the metrics of it. Yeah, so, so far what I was talking about are the 
trends that I'm seeing in the market, right? So given those trends, I actually pivoted because I was not closing deal with, with the family offices. And then one of the prospects, one of those 19 companies I was talking to hired me directly and said, I don't need a private equity to help me. I've got the cash. We're doing well. We're a 30 year old company in the logistics space. We want to start acquiring smaller companies because we need to expand. I always say, even in a down market, you have a market. And then logistics is a huge growing space in this pandemic and it's here to stay. As people stay away from business, as they stay away from restaurants, as they stay away from malls, as they don't go out for the next 18 months and then beyond, they'll be very careful how they go out. I think we'll go back to some sort of normalcy, but it's not going to be what we did before. Logistics is going to be the strong, a strong channel in the market. Goods will have to be moved so that people can live a good quality life, right? People will stay where they are and they'll stay safe, but the products will move to them. So logistics companies are rocking and a client has hired me specifically to drive the M&A strategy. So what I'm doing now is, is they've got money in the bank, they're cash rich, and I'm putting deals together. So I'm calling up entrepreneurs and saying, hey, where are you? Are you surviving? Are you doing well? What do you have? Do you have infrastructure? Are you open to an acquisition? Right? Or do you want to just deal with, deal with a partnership, see if it's the right fit? I lost a deal recently because they were really focusing on the right fit. They wanted to partner, but then uh, you know, the, the company owner said, no, 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 it's, we're going to write this out ourselves because they were growing, but he was more interested in keeping his employees safe and secure because they've been with them for 30 years, right? And so what I've realized more often than not, I'm getting declined by entrepreneurs who are saying, what would I do next? I'm not yet ready to sell because being in logistics, they're already seeing growth. I'm also talking to assembly plants. Right? There's a lot of shift and movement having, happening in the assembly as well because of you know, the, the China crisis. Um, the U.S. has basically really impacted negatively the stability of Chinese manufacturing ecosystem. They have a good supply chain, so you can produce, you can acquire components very easily from China. Shipping and transportation is getting super costly. From an average of $3 a kilo, <clears throat> air freight last year, 840 this month per kilo. So your shipping costs have gone up three and a half, two, three percent. I mean, 200 to almost 300 percent. Um, that's the problem with China. But it's cheaper to bring components because they're less weight, less complexity, bring components. And we're doing now the, what I'm helping companies do is doing that last mile manufacturing in the US. We're doing the final assembly in the US. Or if it makes sense, we'll go to Tijuana, Mexico because of the new uh, NAFTA, the USMCA deal, right? You could protect your IP a little better, right? So yeah. my point is these changes are here to stay. And what companies or people with money are noticing this and saying, okay, these are good investments. These are good areas to invest in. They'll ride the pandemic. They'll grow as, as we move into the new economy post COVID. So it's a good investment to, to buy and hold at the moment. Right. So, the, so that kind of leads into what we had talked about when I mentioned earlier was these bigger companies making, you know, strategic acquisitions because they want to yeah. grow their marketplace. They want to grow their, their, their presence in the marketplace through the acquisition of a, a new division that, that might, that complements what they're doing or just more 
uh, more customers that they can cross sell their existing products to and stuff like, like that. So if, you know, if you're a company like that, say you've raised uh, an angel round um, and you didn't, you didn't, you kind of plateaued uh, and you're trying to figure out how to scale. So you can do that you know, as we talked about in the next five years, one of the key things that you talk about is infrastructure. You know, I also refer to that as, you know, your, your operational processes, automating a lot of your systems yeah. so that you um, can be more efficient and therefore more profitable in that. Talk about how you help companies figure out what they're, what they, you know, what is a red, a red flag that they've got an issue or areas where you can look at that say these, this is how you can, you know, either decrease your expenses because of inefficiency or increase your revenue because of your inventory churns or because of your sales cycle process, things like that, that you can improve your processes on within that infrastructure that therefore makes you more attractive to be acquired. Yeah, no, for sure. I've got two specific examples I'm working with right now. One is on the technology side, right? So you've got this is a, a universal situation where businesses are letting people work from home. They're reducing the number of headcount in the office. They, a lot of companies are shutting down the office because they can manage. They didn't realize they can manage 40 people remotely. Now, if you do that, what happens? You suddenly need very different IT infrastructure. So one of my clients is in the IT infrastructure space and we're helping, uh, we are helping small businesses figure that out. Hey, you need different IT, you need security, you need automation, you need application integration, but you don't have an office. You don't, right? So that's whole different structures. The reason is if you don't do that effectively, you don't manage your IT teams effectively, you don't manage your IT infrastructure effectively, you're going you're gonna to reduce, you're going to increase risk and reduce the confidence that your customers have in their data with you or the customer experience because they want to be able to access the data that they need through you and from you. Very, 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 very important, right? So that's one area. And guess what? In sales, if you have a remote sales team now because no one's coming to the office and the customer does not want to meet you. I have a friend who works in a, I don't know how many billion dollar, their last G round of investment was $1.4 billion round G as in God, as in good, as he said, from SoftBank. $1.4 billion was just the investment round. It's a large window tinting company. Wow. The average sale is eight months and the, the, they don't even look at anything less than a million dollars in revenue. He didn't think it was humanly possible for them to do that entire sales cycle remotely, right? Guess what, all his sales tech MarTech, marketing, technology, platform, infrastructure had to change because he had to bring visibility, he had to bring control systems, all that, you know, proposals, making sure the customer, the employees, the salesperson send the right content. How do you put proposals and content management applications and all kinds of crazy things they never thought about because they should just hand paper or have people come to the office. They used to fly customers in because each project was so big, right? Technology has got to change. I care about that because that impacts revenue, that impacts value if you're trying to sell your company. Are you structured to win? Structured to win. Right? Are you structured to win? Yeah. That's why I've taken a stake of this company in this technology company because this is here to stay, guys. And a lot of CEOs, 
entrepreneurs have not figured it out, the, the nuances of how important that is. They're just band-aiding it and should not, it should be a strategy, right? The other thing is, from a, if you're an investor, I want you to think about this when you, with every investment you look at moving forward, are they, from an IT perspective, structure to win? One, security, because a lot of people don't realize how, now you've got employees working at home, guess yep. what? Each employee's, uh, what do you call it, wireless router at home is part of your network. There could be yep. an intrusion at that point, yep. as an I, example, right? I Are just did a, I know, I just did a uh, podcast with a company that focuses on creating that secure VPN type of thing for remote right. employees, because you also have potential within a household now with people, kids doing virtual learning and spouses working from home, that there's all kinds of inroads in. And even the internet of things out there and the way people do work within hospitals and all kinds of places that are inroads in that ha hackers can get in if you don't have a good security strategy. Yeah, in fact, I'm just, I've got a prospect. I hope he's gonna listen to this. He should be a client who's actually got a security layer on top of any and all IoT devices, right? Because the Jeep, he said, did a video where somebody from New York could hack into a Jeep that's being somebody else's driving, take over the braking and the acceleration system through their IoT devices and, yep. and cause an accident, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's There's all part a video of that. out there, and he solves that problem as yep. a right? But with IoT devices, they're designed to talk to each other and other things, but what he's doing is bringing onboard and then in the cloud security so you can manage, you know, swarms. They call them swarms of devices, right? Uh, and keep the entire IoT network safe. But anyway, so from an investment standpoint, if you're an investor, make sure you're asking those kinds of questions and make and, and checking whether the companies you're investing in are, you know, protecting themselves against the risks associated with IT in today's marketplace. Right. Very, very important. Okay. Now, from a logistics and fulfillment standpoint, it's the same thing, right? How are companies surviving, like you take technology with this last mile manufacturing situation, right? So we're doing last mile manufacturing. We can get product ready in the US. We can protect your IT. That's one of my clients. If you're a hardware company and you want to increase the propensity for sales because you don't have that much interest, and you want to say, hey, you can try this product before you buy it. And a lot of people are doing that because the customers don't want to go to the stores. In fact, I, I was working and I'm not sure how well they're doing now. There was a trial program going on, Samsung and um, one of the coffee companies, Nespro, I believe it was. They were actually in hand, you know, computer and phones and things like that. Uh, I think that's a Samsung was a phone. They were allowing and they're trying this out because customers are staying at home. Customers don't want to go out. So can you send a product to a customer, try it out, if you like it, keep it, or send it back, and I'll send you a new one. Yeah, and okay. the cost of it, because there's this a lot of cost in that, so how do, you, how do you get the efficiency in that using exactly. automation and technology, right? Efficiencies, yeah, so it is, it is, first you need control systems to authorize them, so you have to make sure of that. Then it's about asset protection and asset management. You can get IoT devices and secure, and you want to know which product is gone when, so you've got to have your bells and whistles and reports going out. Because the sales guy might drop, you know, authorize a product to go to somebody and he might quit or get fired. And then what happens to that product? Who's managing that product? 
when the product comes back, you've got to make sure it's clean because nobody wants a dirty product. It's got to be put in a brand new box. Everybody, even though it's a demo, it should not have scratches on it. There's right, a right. bunch of things that have to take place. And your HR department says, we're going to reduce to almost have zero people in the office. How are you going to do this now? How are you going to manage customer experience? How are you going to grow your business? That's right. why we're investing in, in logistics, right? Business models are changing. Business models are changing to manage risk and grow in this marketplace. Right, right. Well, I know there was another thing, characteristic that you look at, and then you know we've got probably about another ten minutes, and I want to give you, a, I want to talk about your book a little bit too, as well, before we wrap up. Oh, and but let me before I ask this last question, we tell folks if you're listening, you can learn more about Paul and the suit and the services that he offers by either going to. C-R-O-A-A-S, so that stands for Chief Revenue Officer as a Service.com, or pauldesouza.com slash services, and Paul is obviously P-A-U-L, and D'Souza is D-S-O-U-Z-A.com. So one of the th- yeah. characteristics that, that you put value on when you're helping investors or funds find or companies find um, acquisition targets is the partners that a company uses to execute. Who are their partners? Yeah, obviously, it's the team and these other things that we've talked about and stuff like that. But something that's oftentimes people don't necessarily put a value on is the community that they have built around them that helps them to execute within, you know, to, to you know, make a great customer experience, but also have value for the, the workplace experience. So... Talk a little bit about how you look at it, what you look for when it comes to joint venture partners that companies should have. So, yeah, it's, that's a great question because these are subtle new ones that are not anchored in numbers, but impact numbers, right? So we really talk about people here. It's all about people and people expectations and their skills and things like that. So I'm working with a client in a prospect in Cleveland and the company in California, everything tight, you know, they're the right size, the right revenue, the right history, they have the right services, the right infrastructure. But the only question mark is that she's, you know, she says, well, my husband retired and my grandkids, you know, they, they, now with COVID, everybody's around and I really want to spend more time at home. And that was the wrong answer, right? Because we need somebody with her capabilities running the shop and because we're in California, right? So it's the right infrastructure, but we need leadership. We need people, right? We, we, she, because she, she said, my, my son doesn't want to do this. My, my daughter doesn't want to do this. I'm the only one left stuck in the office. My husband's retired and all, you know, all the, the signs is that she's going to sign and run. Right. And I don't want her to cut and run. I, I, I want her to get involved. I want to stay. I want her to be the leader, keep the leadership position. And, you know, give us three to five years and we can fade out and things like that. Um, so you, and then I've lost deals because companies say, Paul, you know, I'm not willing to sell because what would I do? I don't know how many times I've lost an opportunity because of that, right? The other side of the same question. So to put a good deal together, you can't ignore the human element. The infrastructure is there, people capabilities, I don't look for, uh, do you have the exact experience that I'm that we, you know, like, because in the Midwest, right, in Cincinnati, Ohio, or even, yeah, all of Ohio, a little bit in all of Kentucky, it's all about 
the, the packaging industry, the printing, retail, it's very big. You'll have logistics companies there that do a lot of printing as well. We in the Silicon Valley, we medical devices, we're doing hardware. It's okay. The infrastructure to put, you know, a production line or assembly line or to pick and pack, that's fundamental. We don't need our specifics. We're looking for the right people. We're looking for the right infrastructure. We're looking for the right technology. Can you integrate with applications? Can you do EDI? Can you do things like that? So we're looking at the fundamental level of capabilities, not specifics of past experience. And then we'll drop in all the other details that, that map to our business growth. But making sure we've got the right technology, the right infrastructure, but the people and their you know, individual's goals and, 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 and objectives is really important for us. And we're always listening and because that's, that's where the biggest risk happens. Okay, well, so we didn't really talk about partners to execute, but do partners then make up for the shortfalls of a CEO is you know, starting to check out, then the company can sustain because they've got the web of partners? Yeah, I mean, that is, yeah, that's then we can always step in and, you know, but that adds cost, right? You want to be able to do all the prevention. So the partnership is very important, you always, especially in today's market, and we're looking for that infrastructure. Uh, but that's easy to assess right up front uh, because especially in the logistics space, you're gonna have partners, you know, somebody to bring you pallets when you need them, you know, boxes like Uline and things like that, you get boxes and supplies, uh, FedEx, UPS, USPS, those are pretty, I'm not, in, the, in, in that space, I'm not worried. But I'm looking in non, you know, uh, logistics uh, opportunities, Yes, we're looking at that, but to me, that's not a problem because it's easy to connect. A partner strategy to me is like table stakes. My bigger okay. threat, my bigger threat is where where's the head, where are the heads of the people involved? Because that's right. not easy to solve. That's okay. not, not easy to solve. Okay, I okay, that's good. And good. By good the to way, know. to your question, but to your question, from an your investors need to ask those questions, right? They really need to know what's going to happen. Where's, what is, what do the owners, what are these entrepreneurs doing with their companies post investment? Because that's where all the risk at. Right. All then the risk just, is in that. They, 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 and in, do they have the ability to shift from a lifestyle business or not become a lifestyle business because of their perspectives and attitudes and goals? So, yeah. all right, well, let's talk about the, you, we got just a couple of minutes here. So the market has changed. Have you hold your book up? Yeah, yeah. oh, hold my book up. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you the go. market is changing. Yeah, uh, it's still available all... on Amazon. If you want a signed copy, reach out to me off my website, and I'll get you a signed copy. I'll mail it to you. Um, feel like I need to write the book again, uh, but what I'm doing is I'm using the book. I mean, today the market has changed again, right? And and we talked about how it's changed. And what I'm doing with the chief revenue officer of the service is really helping companies that either they have a fighting chance or they think they don't want a fighting chance or they want to actually sell. Because, you know, what's happening is there's a lot of engagement in the market today. Customer engagement has gone cheap. It's easy to get customers on a Zoom call and talk about stuff. But do they have a budget? Right? right. Will they transact? Why will they transact? Asking tough questions and qualifying opportunities today is the biggest single 
tip or technique or strategy that, that entrepreneurs have to really embrace uh, to close deals that actually because you need budget and very few people have the budget anymore. Okay. Well, thank you so much for all of these insights that you've offered today, Paul. Uh, and uh, last two minutes, you got anything that you don't think you got in that you wanted to make a point about before we. Well, I like paying it for, I like paying it forward. Thank you for that. Uh, so, you know, one is I'm here to help, right? If you have questions, reach out, let's find each other. Second is I'm actually doing a lot. It's going to be live and I'll send you the link, Karen, on the 23rd of November, the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center out of San Francisco has asked me to teach a class on, you know, increasing revenue in a down market. Oh, so nice. I please, if there's a way to plug that in, I'd love to invite you people to that. And if you can't make it on the 23rd, if this podcast comes out after the 23rd, uh, the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center uh, is uh, has got a lot of content free to entrepreneurs. And so will that I'm actually be a... suggesting. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say so. So the the recording of that will be available will be at there. the Entrepreneur Center. Yeah, for sure, for sure. They have a huge like a university and a lot of people like me talking, but I'm actually asking them to do a weekly on a Thursday call with Paul uh, event. So uh, I want to be available once a week just for entrepreneurs and people ask me questions. Keep it live. You know, uh, I love, I love being on the firing line and answering real questions because so much beautiful, you know, mastermind stuff comes up that you would never think about. And it becomes very, very real. Yeah. So look for, look, listen out for the work I'm doing, but the call with Paul with the NASDAQ entrepreneurial center, hopefully, We'll close that deal. We'll, we'll structure that and do that in Q1 next year. And they'll also probably be able to get it on your website too. I would guess you'd link back. Oh, there. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I also have some recordings on my a podcast I do on iTunes called Keeping It Real in Business and Life. Okay. Right. Now that I live on the ranch, I want people when we start traveling again to come and hang with horses here in New Mexico with me and yeah. work on your business plan and work on your exit strategy and work on the strategies that work to bring you the quality of life. Right. I want you to be in your joy. I guess and, I'm, you know, I need to money. book one of those. It sounds pretty good. You Go know? to New Mexico, ride some horses and uh, solve the problems of the world and your business. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if we said we didn't cover it, but you know, I'm rescuing wild Mustangs and teaching them how to play polo and be equine therapy horses. So I've got seven horses right now. We couldn't touch them a few months ago, and now we're giving them hugs and teaching them how to eat an apple. They, wild horses don't know what an apple is. Wow, <laughs> right. I like okay, we... to open their lips and shove one in. <laughs> That's funny. They got to trust you for that, too. So, all right, Paul, thank you so much for your insights and joining me again. Look forward to continuing our conversations in the future and how we help entrepreneurs and investors succeed as compassionate capitalists and creating wealth onwards and upwards. Thank you. I love what you're doing. God bless. Take Thank care. you. And stay Bye -bye. tuned everybody for the closing segment after this. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. 
in production for over 10 years. There are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools, which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a Entrepreneurs Resource Portal, providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougarand Capital Holdings, is a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.